Hello and welcome to the Raw Fork Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marina Buxov, and I'm a functional medicine pharmacist in New York, as well as an integrative health coach and clinical herbalist. I'm pleased to go into season three of this podcast and continue to bring on other holistic-minded pharmacists and healthcare professionals to the show. I'm constantly inspired by my guests and their stories and love sharing their points of view with you all. Please enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back and thank you so much for tuning in week after week and following along on the journey with me. Um, I wanted to invite you guys to please rate the show and write a short little sweet review if you're enjoying it. Um, you can also reach out to me with any questions or if you know somebody who would be a great guest for the podcast or if you want to volunteer yourself and your journey as, as a natural-minded pharmacist because, as you know, that's who I mostly interview on here. So please don't hesitate to reach out uh, to marina at rawfork.com with any comments or suggestions. I also stream the video part of the podcast on YouTube, so you're welcome to check that out. And please continue sharing it with friends and family if you find it useful. Okay, so for today's agenda, I'm super excited to bring on a pharmacist who's passionate about advocating about what you can do as a family and community to help deal with food sensitivities and allergies. As someone who deals with this on the daily with her own family, she sees just how challenging it can be. Dr. Cherise Barnes uses her food allergy experiences with her pharmacy career and entrepreneur interests to help inform her community how to endure restrictions with food allergies, any other type of allergies, and asthma. Her mission is to bring awareness to food allergies, especially since her own son has been allergic to peanuts and tree nuts ever since he was a toddler. There are so many nuances to adjusting to caring for your family on the day-to-day, let alone navigating dining out or traveling with allergies. She's passionate about educating and finding solutions by sharing her own family's journey. Dr. Barnes graduated from Mercer University School of Pharmacy and is learning more each day about nutrition and food allergies. So welcome to the show and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Raw Fork podcast. I am very excited to introduce to you today Dr. Sharice Barnes. She is a pharmacy professional. She's an entrepreneur and she specializes around the topics of food allergies and asthma. So welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today, Marina. Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasant morning today after somewhat of a rainy weekend. So um, tell us uh, where you hail from, where you grew up, kind of your background and how you got into pharmacy practice. Awesome. So I grew up in a small rural town in central Georgia, probably about three and a half hours uh, south of Atlanta. I went to pharmacy school at Mercer University and graduated in 2000. So I've been practicing in different areas of pharmacy, works community, providing NTM services, working with a little pharmacogenomics, and also working in clinical hospital pharmacy. So I've been really enjoying the pharmacy profession. Um, I actually took a little step further and did a couple certifications in NTM, diabetes, cardiovascular, and also pharmacogenomics. And I also completed a women's entrepreneur um, class also at Cornell University. So definitely stepping out of the box of the regular typical pharmacy profession. Yeah, definitely. That's quite a few steps out of the box, I would say. Um, A lot of beautiful educational opportunities there and certifications. So can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly propelled you to pursue pharmacy in the first place? What it was like maybe growing up that influenced that choice? Um, Have you ever practiced outside of Georgia or uh, got educated outside? Like you mentioned in Cornell, was that in person or was that online? So the Cornell University was actually online. It was a great class for women for 
who want to pursue entrepreneurship. But my um, push into pharmacy actually started from my desire to be a radiologist. So I worked in an independent pharmacy growing up in high school. And I decided that I would go to pharmacy school first and then go into med school. Uh, once I did a rotation with a lot of the medical students, uh, when I was doing one at Grady Hospital, I decided, no, nah, that's not for me. <laughs> I decided to um, stick with pharmacy. Um, so that really drove in just by working at an independent pharmacy in my small community, helping people. And I just had that desire and passion to be able to help people more than just talk about medications, also dealing with their different disease states, um, just trying to help them live a healthier life. Yeah. So out of um, those pharmacy experiences, did you also have to complete those appies where you rotated with many different um, types of experiences? I did. So in pharmacy school, I actually rotated different um, areas. I did ambulatory care um, at Grady Health System, which I did more with diabetes patients at their clinic. I also worked with um, Atlanta Allergy and Asthma Clinic, in which I actually counsel patients how to use their inhalers. So that's how I really got introduced into food allergies and asthma. And then also did rotations in um, infectious disease, hospital, home infusion, so different areas of pharmacy. So doing different rotations um, was very helpful um, to help with my career choices. Yeah. So what did that kind of influence you to do? What was your favorite rotation? And then how did you incorporate that into your job searching? I guess my favorite rotation was actually the one at Grady with the diabetes clinic and working with the Atlanta Allergy and Asthma Clinic, actually working with patients hand on, um, teaching them about their diabetes, how to adjust the insulin. And also in the Allergy and Asthma Clinic, just teaching those new patients how to use inhalers and how to take care of the inhalers. Um, I decided after pharmacy school to actually go into retail pharmacy and also hospital pharmacy. So I did a little of both. Um, so it was awesome to be able to work in both areas of pharmacy because in hospital setting, I did more clinical things for as monitor people antibiotics, um, monitor their anti-blood thinners, um, just different things that you do different from the retail setting. So it was great to be able to do different experiences in each area, whether it's hospital or community. So did you do that at the same time? Like, did you have a part-time schedule in each setting? Actually, I had a full-time position in retail. It was like three 10-hour shifts from 12 to 10. And then I worked part-time in the hospital. So it was a perfect schedule. Wow, yeah. I was able to do both. Sounds pretty busy though. It was. So I did it for a little while, but I'm currently now full-time in um, hospital pharmacy. Um, so I've been there for 20 plus years. Wow. So were you able to build your own family in all that busyness? I was. I actually, I did all that business before kids. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, once I uh, had my first son, I was actually in retail, then I transitioned to hospital pharmacy because it was more family friendly. Now I was working seven to three thirty one one weekend a month. Um, but um, so it made it easier with family life by working in hospital pharmacy. And that's why with the love that the things I do in hospital pharmacy, but it was all about the flexibility, the work-life balance um, to have with family while working in a clinical pharmacy profession. Yeah. So how did your interest in the allergy sphere grow? Was that also because of personal, some, you know, some personal experiences around that, or was it just more of an interest and in a lot of patients that you saw coming in with allergies? Actually, it was very personal. Um, I have a shellfish allergy that came up on, came up, it happened actually uh, as an adult. Uh, I used to eat shellfish all the time, and all of a sudden for three weeks, I Edit every week, like two or three times and woke up one morning, my lips were swollen. <laughs> wow. It was crazy. So I had to make an appointment. It took like several medications a couple of weeks before it can actually go down. But even more devastating, um, our son, my younger son, Nicholas, we found out at age two that he had a uh, peanut allergy. And it's kind of weird how we found out because he had a history of asthma seasonal allergies, eczema as a baby. And I had no idea all those things were kind of related. 
So one night we went out to Texas Roadhouse, you know, just to get something to eat. And I didn't pay any attention about all the peanut shells all over the floor. And 30 minutes within our dinner, he just started vomiting everywhere. So it was, it was crazy. So the next day we made an appointment with a pediatrician. She did um, blood tests and we found out he was highly allergic to peanuts. And she referred us to an allergist. Well, actually it was an asthma allergy specialist. And they did skin tests and more tests on him. We found out he's highly allergic to almonds, which is in the class of tree nuts mm-hmm. and nuts. So our whole world was just devastated because, you know, we had a toddler and you're trying to figure out, you know, would daycare be able to provide meals, snacks, when they have parties at the daycare, would he be able to participate? Um, it was just devastating. Um <clears throat> Even the older he got too, it's just dealing with the whole school, um, making sure, um, you know, at the parties he had things that he can eat. I would always take off from work to go on field trips and make sure he was safe. Even though the teachers had the EpiPens and our school was very good about, you know, sending the EpiPens with the kids on the trips or having designated tables at the lunchroom, says nut-free, have nut-free classrooms. Um, but just as a parent, not really just take the whole pharmacy part out of it. Um, it was just very challenging trying to deal with it from day to day. And and the hardest part, I think, for him was just dealing with the birthday parties because he would go to birthday parties and sometimes he could eat the cake, sometimes he couldn't. So here I was trying to make cupcakes <laughs> so we could take to parties for him. And it's just, and a lot of times he wouldn't even get invited to birthday parties because people didn't want to deal with the whole food allergies. So same thing with sports, traveling, because you always have to research, you know, what restaurants you can eat, or if you're traveling an airplane, you got to make sure you clean all your area. So it just became more of a passion of mine to educate people about food allergies, because a lot of people are just not aware about food allergies. And just also making aware to people who have allergies that one, you need a allergy action plan. Two, you need to make sure you have your EpiPens. Three, you need to make sure all those things are in date. So if something does happen or you get some type of cross-contamination, you'll be able to know what to do. So that's how I started after allergies. And we're just going forward, just trying to help people bring awareness. And I'm just trying to help people just live easier with their allergies. Yeah, yeah, your advocacy work is certainly showing up in your passion as you were speaking. Um, I mean, yeah, I feel like even if people are aware of food allergies, and even as healthcare professionals, as pharmacists, you know, we dispense EpiPens, and we are always documenting people's allergies, especially to medications, and making sure everything is on their record. But after that part of the job is done, we don't really think about how people live their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. So that really, is what you were saying, affects every area of life and you have to pre-plan for every little detail of, of your day if you're, you know, if you're allergic to something, especially mm-hmm. with a severe allergy. You do, it is difficult, um, especially with traveling. I have to do a lot of research before we go anywhere. We went to Chicago last year. So I had to research, you know, brunch places, pizza places, just places that we can eat or, or try to find a hotel that's close to places that we were very familiar with. Because a lot of restaurants, their menus change. So yeah. a lot of times, um, a place you usually go to on a regular basis, you may go back there in a month and the whole menus change. And then for instance, some restaurants have added shellfish on their menu that may be fried. So now I know I can't get French fries from there. Yeah, but it's yeah. very fortunate. Some restaurants, actually, you can speak to the manager or the waiter or the chef, depending on what type of restaurant, and they're willing to accommodate your allergies. Yeah. So it's all yeah. about communication. Absolutely. There could be cross-contamination. Even if you are ordering one type of meal, they might be mm-hmm. using the same like tools to cook it with or to just even plate it together or something like that. And you just don't know where, where they store things. So people who are allergic and not just, you know, maybe sensitive or maybe just have a dietary preference, you know, those are very two different things. Somebody could potentially die from being exposed to an allergen, whereas somebody just, you know, may not be preferable to eat something, but they'll be okay. So those, you know, you have to really talk to your waiters and your 
food managers and cooks for things like that. You do. Yeah. It's a lot of work, especially when you go to Disney World and places like that, which I love Disney World because they're very accommodating. They have certain restaurants they put on their park map letting you know these are the things that are allergy free or these are the locations that be very accommodating for you. Yeah, me and uh, my husband and my child also went to Disney World actually right before the pandemic in January mm -hmm. before like anything was known. Um, and I was really underwhelmed actually with Disney's choices of meals. Like some of them were plant-based, but still most of them were just super processed and mm -hmm. like a junk food type of a meal right. that's anything healthy. And an apple was like $3 or something at their snack store. It's very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very expensive and it's especially expensive to eat something more or less healthy. So mm -hmm. that was crazy. It was crazy. And SeaWorld is good about it too. Yeah. Yeah. But what you're saying is just like, yeah. I mean, once you, you think about every little part of your day that you can possibly come into contact with an allergen, you know, it adds up and kind of drives you crazy. So, you know, I'm so happy to see that you're doing the advocacy work around that. Could you tell me a little bit more about how you're putting that into practice? Uh, so what I'm doing now is mostly I try to do a more videos and I really use my social media platforms um, to get the information out to people. Um, I recently had a webinar this past weekend and it was about never leave your EpiPen at home. So it was more of an introduction to food allergies, um, how to survive every day, how to learn how to look for different products or recipes that's going to be safe for you. Not always doing a lot of process things, but maybe having different alternatives that's healthy for you too as well. Um, so we're doing that. And then also hopefully to offer more uh, webinars and hopefully offer some videos so people will be able to watch, you know, at that leisure um, to be able to educate them and educate others about food allergies. So currently you can follow me on Instagram and also the Facebook platform and I also have a some presence on LinkedIn as well for the professionals. Yeah, I think that's how I found you and your work. Yes. Yeah. So what is your, you know, business um, look like? What you're providing like a coaching service or is it just a free educational platform that's accessible to everybody? Like how is it structured? So the business is structured to actually more of a consulting basis so that you would get more of a customized um, approach to your allergies, whether seasonal allergies or asthma, um, just to try to help you. So it's not a one thing fits all for everyone. I try to customize it and we can just see what your needs are and fit those things towards you. So it's not a set plan, but it's more of a consultation um, mm -hmm. at a reasonable price. Um, and one day, hopefully, my goal is to offer a course um, to people to make people more aware um, of the different services that we offer. But currently, we're still in the building process, um, but we really want to just get the word out there and help people just live easier with their allergies. And hopefully to be able to collaborate with other healthcare professionals and different organizations um, to bring awareness and also work with those patients who really need that one-on-one -on -one consultation that the doctor's office cannot provide for them. Yeah, that's definitely a big problem that I see a lot of pharmacists on that show on this show talk about um, the fact that there is a need for another professional, uh, whether it's a pharmacist or somebody else, a health coach on a team that could spend more one-on-one -on -one time with the patient consulting about stuff that the doctor just simply doesn't have time to do in, in the right. time constraints that the doctors are faced with. Exactly. Since a lot of doctors are doing telehealth appointments now, so patients really don't get that one-on-one -on -one time um, with the doctors as long as they used to. So now it's a quick 15 minutes versus, you know, they used to get at least, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. But after allergies, we can offer that time to sit there and listen to find out how to fix their problem and help to find a solution to make their life easier. And that's our main mission, to bring awareness and just make everybody try to live normal because it is very difficult to deal with food allergies on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Especially when you're traveling, yeah. eating out, 
attending different events, especially for kids, you know, birthday parties. That's yeah. one of the biggest thing that my kids always complain about. So. Yeah. And like I was mentioning before, you know, people in general have these kind of questions rise up about what is my kid going to be served at school or at daycare or at birthday parties. And, you know, right now it's a big health trend to try to be more healthy and maybe eat gluten-free mm -hmm. or less sugar for kids and things like that. But that's, you know, more of a good preference, but then it's not life and death. And then when it's life and death, you have to pay, you know, a million times more attention. And you do because the products change, you know, if you do a lot of processed products or um, just different products have changed how they are manufactured. And a lot of companies don't display all the information on their products too. So a lot of times you have to do a little bit more research to find out how that product was processed. And what we started doing is actually making our own chocolate chip cookies. Um, we use that organic flour, all our allergy-free um, ingredients. So we don't do the processed um, chocolate chip cookies anymore. So we started to find different ways to replace a lot of those processed things um, so that he can still enjoy those things, but more nutritious things um, in his diet. Yeah, that's great. You know, I always read the food labels on, you know, chocolate bars or food bars, and then it always says, processed in a facility with tree nuts, peanuts, mm -hmm. and other allergens. So it's like a universal disclaimer that they're not liable for any cross-contamination. Right. And we've been very fortunate that we have been able to find some chocolate bars. Because <laughs> my son, you know, was only limited to one company, but then I was concerned because that company also processed as bars with almonds, and that's one of his high allergic um, allergens. So um, we actually found a company that actually has a dedicated facility that has no tree nuts, no nuts. I think it says no shellfish, fish, eggs, milk, dairy, um, gluten. And he loves them. They come in different flavors and he's been very happy. And I think one weekend we actually made chocolate covered pretzels. Nice. Because we're never able to actually buy chocolate covered pretzels out of the store. So we was actually able to make some at home. So we've been trying different recipes um, and trying to find more healthier choices too, to try to stay away from all the different processed things. Just yeah. trying to find different solutions. And it could be a fun family activity to do also to get your oh, it is. involved in the cooking. Oh, yes. Yeah, because he loves to make um, cupcakes and cakes too as well. He actually made his first um, cake from scratch with all his allergy-free ingredients. So he was so proud. And actually, it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He did. So who are your ideal customers? Are they the parents of kids with allergies or just anybody that has allergies in their life? So it's anybody who has allergies in their life or people who may know people who have allergies. Um, so even physicians, um, like your allergists and immunologists to build that relationship. Um, so if they can send patients to me to say, hey, we got this new person who just found out they have an allergy, but we don't have time to spend with them to work on about product selections or healthier choices or how to develop a plan when they're traveling or eating out. So I think a lot of just school nurses, principals, teachers, um, dietitians. So it's a wide range, but just the main niche is just people who have food allergies mm -hmm. um, just so they know how to deal with their food allergies because it's good to educate everyone else about food allergies but for the ones who actually have those allergies you want to make sure they know how to avoid those allergens and how they can still find other options and solutions so they can still have a normal life too as well yeah so what do you feel like as a, you know, healthcare professional and being an expert in researching this stuff for a while now, what do you think is the link between allergies in general and food allergies and asthma? Is there a link? I think it may be a link with inflammation in the body. Because if you think about um, asthma and just regular seasonal allergies and food allergies, you know, it's all about that immune system when it a foreign body, a foreign substance in the body and the body reacts. So I think it does have some type of component to do with inflammation. Um, I'm still researching and learning more about it. 
So I'm not very that in-depth about knowledge about that, but I do feel like inflammation does play a part. And some of those things are all very linked. You know, when a child has eczema, um, regular seasonal allergies and asthma, all three of those are kind of linked into your immune system and inflammation. And a lot of times things like that does happen. But I think if you change how you eat, eat more nutritious things and try to avoid those things that you know that you are allergic to or causes you to be more um, sensitive to it, then you'll feel a whole lot better and then you can avoid using, you know, any type of medications um, to have any problems. Yeah. I mean, I certainly see a big correlation and rise in these kind of conditions like hyper <clears throat> immune reactions, right? So allergies, asthma, autoimmune conditions, like you mentioned, eczema, all of these are your immune system overreacting to something. And there's just a big spectrum of how that shows up in the mm-hmm. body and what type of inflammatory reactions it triggers. Right. So it, it's just wild that I think there are just more and more cases popping up each year. And I don't know if in your opinion, it's correlated also with families. Like, you know, you found out you had an allergy and then your son had an allergy. So maybe there's some genetic component, maybe there's environmental components, maybe there's exactly what we're putting into our bodies, our food, the processing of our food. You know, so many things have changed from the way we live and our way of life, our way of consuming food in the past, like, you know, half a century or so like how everything turns from the industrial era into processed stuff like from let's say I think I read a statistic or watched in a documentary when you eat a McDonald's hamburger you can potentially be having like a thousand different cows in there because of how they're all processed in the facilities and then just all put into like one massive you know thing that is then divided into patties it's amazing because um, actually both of my kids have asthma and they both have se- bat- seasonal allergies too. They get allergy shots. So, and then, um, so all that kind of stuff is kind of connected because I know like when the weather changes, my oldest son, his asthma flares up. Or when certain things are growing in the environment, um, his seasonal allergies change. And we notice with certain foods too, with my oldest son, it causes him to have problems too, especially like with sugar. He's very sensitive to sugar. So we know he has to limit his amount of sugar. It's kind of hard to tell a 16 year old, I'm sorry, you can't have candy and milkshakes and those candy bars, which we kind of limit the candy bars in the house anyway, because our allergies, but um, it's really hard to tell that teenager, you can't have those things. But we found out um, that sugar does affect his body that way. It kind of inflames him and he starts to have pain so we learn in different things about each child every day <laughs> from you know we try to do low sugar we definitely don't have any nuts in the house so we found a lot of different substitutes and just trying to do more clean eating with different things um, eat more fruits and vegetables and trying to do less processed stuff and less eating out um, we try to do more meals at home a lot too so especially with the pandemic we don't we really don't eat out that much anymore. Yeah, <laughs> so we do a lot more yeah. cooking at home, um, <laughs> definitely. So, but you're right. A lot of things have changed. Um, a lot of people, because we always on the go, especially before the pandemic, we did a lot of fast food because of the kids' activities. You constantly, you know, oh, let's just pick this up because it's really fast. Um, but I will can say that during the whole pandemic, we've been cooking more at home. And I can kind of see a difference in the kids as far as their allergies and how they feel. Yeah, so definitely. I think a lot has to do sometimes with the environment, what you eat, um, everybody, but everybody, you know, reacts differently to different things, whether it's food or environment, or even like you said, genetics too, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like even in your family, you, you, your kids probably inherited similar genes, but they're activated in different ways and expressed mm-hmm. to show this type of allergy or this type of sensitivity not everybody's genes are expressing in the same way. Right. So even in the same family, there could be a variety of manifestations, but they could all be connected and be epigenetically kind of modified by the triggers in the environment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, my oldest, he really hates their allergies. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I can't have the candy bars or we can't have shellfish in the house or... 
I said, well, at least you're not getting fat, but eating all that candy all the time, you know, eating Snicker bars and all that kind of stuff. But we did find like a substitute for peanut butter. So you can still have like a somewhat similar type of sandwich. So that's been very helpful for my oldest. So you can have some type of protein. Yeah. But my younger son, he won't even... I'm sorry, sunflower? go ahead. Is it sunflower or some other substitute? Please share. Um, it's uh, wild butter. I don't know if you heard that product before. I think so. They make a creamy and a crunchy type. It's awesome. It tastes, I mean, my younger son has never had peanut butter, but it tastes just like peanut butter. It smells it very, I'm sorry. What is it made from? Um, that I'm not sure, but I'll definitely... Um, get that back, get the information to you. Yeah, we'll have I didn't know we love it though. It may have sunflower, but it's not the regular like sunflower brand, mm -hmm. but I think it is some type of plant-based, but it tastes just like um, peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually made in a peanut and tree nut free facility too. It's hard to find. You really can't find it um, at all grocery stores. Yeah. You know, it's funny because a lot <clears throat> of nuts and even peanuts are considered pretty healthy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're high protein, low fat, and people who are plant-based, they have, they tend to consume a lot of beans and nuts. Mm -hmm. um, but then if you have an allergy, that's very restricting. You know, you, it you is. have that as a health food. Yeah. Cause my oldest son complains all the time because he wants to eat almonds or, you know, peanuts because he's sometimes he try to eat those type of things, you know, like he said, for protein. And it's a healthy snack, but you know, those things we just can't have in our house because of our younger son and his allergies. So it does, you know, it affects the whole family sometimes with our allergies and our food choices. Yeah. And you know, the peanuts are very prone to a certain type of mold, like a fungus that grows on it, which is actually what mm -hmm. a lot of people are allergic to. So not mm -hmm. the actual peanut, but the way it's stored in different conditions that just, you know, feed mm -hmm. that mold. And so I always recommend for people that have peanuts to choose the organic ones because they tend to be more tested and um, mm -hmm. they usually don't have that problem. But obviously, if somebody's diagnosed with a peanut allergy, you stay away from any type of anything that ever. I was going to say, we stay away from all anything. nuts. So I was like, I didn't even know that because we've been staying away from nuts since he was two and he's 11 now. He'd be 12. So that's how long we've been staying away from nuts. So. We've definitely been avoided at all costs because we've been very fortunate. Um, he has never had a reaction besides that one time we went out to eat. Um, so we've been really trying to avoid um, peanuts and nuts at all costs. Yeah. I want to bring up another thing that you mentioned that the weather can also affect the symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I also see like a lot of people with headaches or migraines, you know, pressure changes really affect their symptoms. Um, also people with arthritis, a lot of times will complain like, mm -hmm. the, you know, the damp weather makes it worse or, you know, this makes it worse or, or maybe just the cold makes it worse or there's always something that the body is reacting to in addition to things that we put into the body, just like things that are going on around us and the environment and even the weather, like somebody's joints start aching at a certain When it's raining. <laughs> yeah, when it's raining. So mm -hmm. then, and so like in, in uh, Chinese medicine, we always ask about those type of triggers and symptoms because they, mm -hmm. um, they will indicate a certain type of, you know, approach that if this is the oh. way the body's patterns are showing up, then there's this kind of disbalance going on. And then these are the herbs that are indicated for those, those types of symptoms. That's interesting because actually my oldest son, he has um, headaches sometimes when it's really um, humid outside sometimes. Mm -hmm. So like you said, the environment, different things do affect them, especially when the weather changes, when it goes hot to cold, sometimes it flares up their asthma. Yeah. And in addition to seasonal allergies and pollen, um, there's also mold, you know, like mm -hmm. people don't know that they have mold growing on in, in their house. If there's damp, dark areas or in the basement, if somebody's like hanging out in the basement, sometimes that could be a collection of mold growing in places that we don't even see. Yeah. And just like dust mites too. A lot of people don't realize that too. A lot of people have... Um, Allergy. I know for our kids, we use um, different sheets on their bed. This will be more allergy yeah. um, prone. And we do like the pillowcases too. And, you know, you also have the option to 
you know, buying a material to cover your mattresses and stuff. And, and I usually recommend, you know, don't do carpet in your house. And yep. so even those little small things and just, you know, keeping your air filters changed, your filters changed in the house and also in your car too, because you'd be amazed those little small little details can make a difference in your seasonal allergies or just any type of allergies or reaction. Yeah. My sister was allergic to dust mites and like they used to tell her that she's allergic to dust. And then apparently they found out actually it was the little mites that lived on dust. And that was Mm -hmm. just wild. And my mom always thought like she was trying to fake and like sneeze whenever she would like clean or dust. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but that's actually, that was her allergy and it manifested. Oh, and wow. it, that's like, how do you get rid of dust? You know, like you need to be immaculately clean in order clean. to have that trigger gone from your environment. And then like, even if you clean your house, you know, the places you go or the cars or vehicles, exactly. you know, like it's just in a, unavoidable. Yeah. You have to leave your shoes at the door. <clears throat> can't yeah. track the dirt in and out because my kids play baseball too so just being outside a lot and all that dust and stuff I just tell them come to the garage leave your stuff <laughs> so you won't track it in the house because all those like you said environmental factors can also affect your allergies too as well yeah. definitely yeah. I know that I recommend also neti pots too oh yeah we use that too yeah, because what it does is you basically wash your nasal passageways out with saline water. And so mm-hmm. you irrigate that out and any kind of particles, if it's pollen for seasonal allergies or like the dust particles settling in there, you pretty much kind of wash it out. So they're not sitting on your sinuses and triggering a reaction in your lungs or wherever it is for you. Yeah, we had to do that too, especially for our oldest son. His allergies the worst. Um, we did allergy shots for a while and it worked and we stopped and then it came back more. So now we just started doing other little things, make sure we change the filters in the house more, more of the filters in the um, vehicles, you know, reinforcing the leaving your shoes and all your dusty stuff outside instead of bringing everything inside. And like you said, also using, trying to keep those nasal passages clear as much as possible. Yeah, going to an ENT, your nose throat doctor is also recommended to kind of get checkups. And so mm-hmm. the one that the lecture I listened to by an ENT, mm-hmm. um, the holistic ENT, it's really stressed the importance of neti pots. And, you know, I think if you just do that for prevention daily, um, I personally also use it if I'm sick. So I'll do mm-hmm. it twice a day if I'm sick to just like oh. wash my, my nasal passages out. <laughs> and I'll just do it once a day for prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, like I often have I don't really have any allergies but I often feel like my nose is stuffy a lot mm-hmm. so that really helps me like this daily routine and um, for my sister she actually ended up doing the desensitization shots oh yeah that's what we but I believe she either it was recommended for her to wait until she was an adult or it wasn't available I don't know but she she got them as an adult and she she got you know it's a long series like I think a six-month commitment or so mm-hmm. or more. and so it really helped her and she was able to even get a dog um, oh nice yeah and things like that so yeah pets are a big trigger too we haven't mentioned oh yeah pets oh definitely and that's something we don't have as pets so we don't have to worry about that part but yes definitely those shots do work um because with my oldest son both actually both kids are getting shots right now um, but it down to like once a month it's very time consuming but it's definitely worth it Exactly. Um, yeah. It really reduces the symptoms. Um, but I do have them drinking, you know, green tea or some type of herbal tea or just something warm sometimes if they are stuffy to kind of open up those passages too. Um, so that helps too as well, especially if they start to get sick. We do that lemon ginger and green tea yeah. uh, with a little honey and that really helps. Yeah, seasonal local honey is actually recommended as like mm-hmm. an allergy treatment or prevention because you're getting like, just like the desensitization therapy, you're getting tiny, tiny doses of like the pollen that's, you know, made from the flowers that the bee made. So that way you're kind of introducing it to your immune system slowly and making mm-hmm. sure that it doesn't have an extra inflammatory response and it gets used to it over time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's so one that's of our favorites. 
yeah now, now there's like a ton of like essential oils also that you can oh use yes and to open up things or like use top yeah. with the carrier oil yeah we haven't tried that though I've yeah. just been sticking to the tea and the nasal rinses and it's been working pretty well for us and just doing a lot of the um, external things you know the filters and keeping all that dusty baseball stuff out of the house and um, when they come in, you know, wash their hands, wash their face, especially if they've been outside for a while to try to get all that pollen and stuff out of their face and everything too. So, yeah. And, you know, I think it also, the immune system has so much to do with our gut health. So not only like keeping away from sugar to kind of make sure that no microorganisms are growing like candida or bacteria, bad bacteria, or, you know, your inflammation, not to trigger your inflammation into getting worse, but mm -hmm. also like supporting your gut health so that your digestive function, your energy levels and your immunity are optimal. So like probiotics, I recommend to almost mm -hmm. every patient because everybody has, you know, something wrong with their microbiome. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, the latest research shows that the healthier and more diverse your microbiome, the healthier is your immune system and is able to balance itself out. Yeah, I've seen that. I haven't um, had a chance to research that very deeply, but I haven't seen more reports about that too as well. So is there certain ones that you recommend for younger kids versus adults? So there is a few brands. Um, I like the Claire Labs. It also depends on what exactly are the symptoms that you're trying to address too. Mm -hmm. Certain strains of the probiotics are recommended versus others. So for my son, he actually had like colic as a baby and mm -hmm. the lactobacillus rhamnosus or actually Ruteri, L-Ruteri was recommended. So oh, okay. I, found, like, I found a brand that they had just like the, the baby drops that I would give um, one drop. Of oh. And that really helped, you know, my pediatrician wanted to put him on something like an H2RA and an H2 blocker, which is an antacid like ranitidine or something like that. And I never mm -hmm. gave it to him. I just did the probiotics, you know, yeah. and that was it. I just saw amazing results. So I always say like, do your own research. Mm hmm look for Definitely. things. Yeah, I plan to research that some more because I'm sure all of that is, like you said, is all related um, with a lot of things that goes on with people's sensitivities and allergies, all that stuff is based on your immune system, just trying to keep it healthy. Yeah, exactly. And then there's also the um, hygienic hypothesis, I think so, the hygiene hypothesis that basically we are overly clean nowadays you know we disinfect too much from childbirth and so that's why our microbiome is not at its, at its healthiest condition because we just basically don't populate it with the right probiotics because mm. we, our soils are depleted from probiotics so our foods aren't getting it you know we're not gardening out back in the back doors and then like picking it with the soil in the roots and then like getting some of that into our cooking. We're buying right. from the grocery store that it's like overly stripped and clean and then we peel away the peels. So that like usually the peels are what has remnants of the soil and therefore the probiotics in the soil. But now we, we no longer populate our gut that way. And then we don't let the kids like crawl around on the floor or in the dirt or like literally play mm -hmm. in the dirt. Well, especially now, obviously, Corona, everybody's like going right. <laughs> it's extra clean. Now, like it makes sense, but people have been stripping their environment from potentially beneficial organisms too for a long time, even before this outbreak. So it's like our good bacteria that we populate our guts with will protect us from the bad viruses and bacteria mm. out there. So the more we can diversify the good flora, the better mm -hmm. protection we have and the better immune system we have. Yeah, I grew up eating more. We actually grew our own vegetables. So it was great versus, you know, now, like you said, you go to the grocery store and you get everything. But, you know, we used to pick, get the peas, get the beans or the potatoes or whatever type of vegetables. And we were actually cooking from, you know, from our garden. So it was much different um now than it was when I was growing up actually yeah definitely like now I think it's more of a symbol of status and wealth when 
you don't grow your own food and when everything's just easily accessible and you you don't you can you know hire your own cooks and like your your own like people to do all the work for you and you don't actually play in the dirt yourself you don't garden um i feel like there's a wave of people that want to kind of go back to that lifestyle uh, and simplicity and advocate for that but most of us are so actually associate like wealth and status with not having to do any of that farming type of stuff or gardening type of stuff right yeah we're totally, yeah, we're totally opposite because actually my son and i wanted to actually do a garden because we wanted to grow our own vegetables and some of our own fruits so we've been trying to come up with a plan and we haven't worked it out yet but <laughs> i'm also i'm also one of those people that want a garden um right now i don't have the means to because i live in an apartment but mm-hmm. maybe some some like windowsill or uh, or balcony gardening, I can I can potentially try to create. But yes. I just I just think it's not the norm. I think people no, it's not. Yeah, who um are really concerned about health and you know are educated enough to know that actually this is really healthy for you to eat local and fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think that information is widely available to people, and we're not educated on the benefits and merits of that. We're actually just trying to like get a good career that gives us lots of money that we could just go and buy everything our heart desires but actually I think you know the joy and happiness of life also lies in the doing stuff oh definitely not just um outsourcing all your pleasures basically oh yeah it's just like how we make our own chocolate chip cookies now we used to depend on different other brands but then they started introducing peanut butter in their line so we can no longer eat them so that's how we started making our own cookies and actually my husband made um apple fritter bread out of apples and organic um with the organic flour and a lot of different seasonings so um and it was very delicious (laughs) i think i think it only lasted maybe four or five hours in the house and it was gone (laughs) but it was just that very fresh you know the fresh apples and um, just not using a lot of processed stuff. Um, so just trying to shift that into our lifestyle has definitely made a difference. Yeah. That's um, at the same tastes- time, trying to avoid any type of allergies. So, yeah, that's when it really tastes the best and has, you know, the most nutritious and most like vital nutrients available when you freshly make it and then you eat it. Mm-hmm. Not when it's like, coming to you from another continent, you know, out of season and, you know, you don't know how they processed it and what facilities. So definitely it's time consuming, but it's like, I don't know, rewarding in a way. It is, but it's so good because you get the whole family excited. Um, You get the whole family helping making the different ingredients. And at the end of the, uh, the process, you know, you get a nice, pastry that you actually made yourself and you know how it's processed yeah. and it's fresh um and you know it's safe for your child to eat so it's it's, it's great yeah all right well i really enjoyed our talk dr sharice can we jump into a rapid fire round sure <laughs> <laughs> what's that what's your number one advice for people to improve their quality of life right now and if you want you can make that focused around allergies and other other things like that i say right now is um take care of yourself um, definitely self-care um for your allergies just starting to move away from the processed products and go more toward more of your natural things and start doing like more things at home that you can include the whole family because then that increases your more your family time that you have to spend time with each other and just those precious memories that you can get during this time that we have, you know, during the whole pandemic. Um, And then also with the allergies, just continue to educate yourself, do research yourself about different things and, um, and then come contact me so I can help you come up with a personal plan to help you when you're trying to think of different ways to find a solution to your problem. And also if you need to travel or if you're just trying to figure out how can you make things easier when you go out to eat, if you choose to go out to eat, um, or just how to make those kind of meals at home too, you know. So I think um, the number one advice I say is just um, be happy, (laughs) be safe, Um, try to find those different activities to um, 
spend more time with your family and um, call me if you need help to try to get that personalized plan together um, to help make your life easier. And you can reach me on my different social media platforms. Um, on Instagram is Afro Allergies. Um, Facebook, you can reach me on Afro Allergies LLC page. Or you can come invite to one of my groups, um, Allergy-Free Adults. Uh, you definitely won't be disappointed. You definitely get a chance to get a lot of good information, uh, be a part of a community uh, with other people who are going through the same things that you are. But I'm so thankful to um, be here today with Marina, um, having the opportunity to have this um, discussion about different things we talked about today. <laughs> Not just food allergies. I think we did a lot of different things about uh, food allergies, seasonal allergies, asthma, inflammation, um, eating healthier, finding different um, options, and just um, finding someone just like myself to help you come up with a plan to help you live easier with your allergies. Yeah, definitely. I think even if we specialize in an area of health, we can't get that complete holistic picture unless we address a lot of different moving parts. Right. So that's why we ended up touching on so many things. But it's not over yet. I have two tiny more questions for you. Oh, sure. Sorry. <laughs> um, so the first one is, what's your favorite hobby or pastime? I'm sorry, say it again. What's your favorite hobby? Uh, my favorite hobby is painting. I like to do a lot of the um, virtual painting now so because of the virus and everything. But I like to paint. That's more of my self-care thing. Oh, nice. Yeah, I thought you were going to say cooking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to cook too, but um, painting is really very relaxing. Yeah. Uh, so I like to do that too. And I do like to cook too. Yeah, I love painting too, or sketching. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love it. Um, what's, uh, what's your favorite beverage to drink? Um, I guess I can say my favorite beverage is water. <laughs> that's what I drink for the majority of the times. I hardly ever drink anything but water. I might drink sodas every every blue moon. I mean, yeah. but it's majority of water or hot tea. Yeah. Um, in the mornings, I really love my green tea or green ginger tea. Something yeah, that's, that's one of my favorites. Is is the best. Mm -hmm. All right. Awesome. Well, you already mentioned all the ways we can contact you. So, uh, you know, I want to thank you for coming on the show and um, introducing what you do and making yourself available to anybody who has questions. I will have all the links in the show notes so that people can reach out. But thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Raw Fork Podcast. And I truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you learned something new from it, I would really appreciate if you can give us a five-star rating and a sincere review so that more people can find it across the podcast platforms. To get in touch with me, please go on rawfork.com or email me directly at marina at rawfork.com. Take good care and I'll see you back here next week.